This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm so glad to have you joining us. Today, you're listening to episode 227, and I'm talking with Julie Stackhouse. Julie is a well-known runner in the Jacksonville area, and after I finished the Donna Half Marathon the other weekend, I had several people come up to me and say hello and also tell me that Julie Stackhouse was their coach, and I should definitely interview her on the podcast. So I have made that happen. Julie has a half marathon PR of 116.54, a marathon PR of 253.17, and she's also done a full Ironman in 10 hours and 17 minutes. She started running at a very young age, won several state titles, 16 to be exact, in track and cross country growing up in high school and has really been a lifelong runner. She went on to coach at several colleges and now she coaches runners in the Jacksonville area through her business, Stackhouse Fitness. Last year at the Donna Marathon in 2019, she actually was attacked by a dog on the course during the race. And she's going to talk to us a little bit about that in this episode and talk about coming back from that and the post-traumatic stress that she has endured and come back from over this last year. She ran the race again this year, ran right by that exact spot that the dog attacked her. Julie is continuing to move on from that with lots of bravery, and I think it's a story that can encourage us all to face our fears and be brave. If you enjoy this conversation with Julie, you'll be excited to know if you support the show on Patreon, you will get bonus content from her. So she's a coach and we didn't get too much into her coaching techniques in this episode because we went a lot of different directions with other stories. So I really wanted to get her back on and talk to her about some of her philosophies and how she coaches runners. And I thought, well, this would be perfect to offer to our Patreon community. So I'm actually recording that tomorrow and that'll be out tomorrow. So I will record it on Saturday and get it out same day. So if you enjoyed this conversation and want to hear more from Julie, go over to my Patreon page and consider supporting the show at as little as three or $5 a month to get access to that. You can find that at patreon.com slash You can also find the link in my show notes at lindsayhine.com. All right, friends. And again, I felt extra connected with Julie because of her affiliation with the Donna Marathon and the Donna Foundation, which is important in her life as well as my own. So um, just one more great thing about the Jacksonville running community is Julie Stackhouse and the Donna Marathon. So I am feeling fortunate to be connected to so many wonderful people and just a shout out, get the Donna Marathon on your list for 2021. All right, friends, enjoy my conversation with Julie Stackhouse. Today on the podcast, I'm so excited to have Julie Stackhouse joining us. Welcome to the show, Julie. Thanks for having me, Lindsay. I didn't get to meet you last week in Jacksonville, and now we've talked about this. I'm so sad we didn't do it in person. <laughs> me too. Me too. I just said you just have to come back down to the beach, though. Yeah, I'm going to every year. I'm coming down for Donna. 
Uh, Julie, you're like a the legend coach of Jacksonville, Florida. I feel like after the race. Oh my on, gosh! <laughs> after the race last Sunday, everybody seemed to say that Julie Stackhouse was their coach. Uh, you know, that's a big race for us. Um, we have two, we have, we have a lot of races in town, but we have two every year that we really focus on. And that's the first one, um, is the Donna complete marathon weekend. Like we had athletes in every event from the relay, the 5k to the half marathon, to the full marathon. Um, we didn't have anyone in the ultra. <laughs> no one was, no one was willing to take that one on. <laughs> um, but otherwise we had people and in, in everything. And so it's one of my favorite things about that event is when I finish, um, getting a chance to see everybody else finish too. Yeah. Um, do you hang out at the of- finish line? I do. This year I did. This year oh, I got well, hanging yes. out the finish line. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I just I just camp out right there at the, um, actually there's a really great uh, hospitality tent and it's right at the finish line. Great view of that final stretch. So I just post up there for, for a while. <laughs> yeah, we actually, this year, we after we finished, we hung out for a while, went to the coffee shop and then we finally... Uh, went back to the hotel, showered, came back, went back to that area because it's such a, that area of Neptune Beach is such a cute spot. I always say, can we live here? If we move to Jacksonville, can we live right here in this little corner? <laughs> you know, honestly, I think it's the best part of Jacksonville. I, th- I think a lot of people, if they visit Jacksonville, maybe they've been on business or something like that. And maybe they've only seen, you know, certain areas, the downtown or that stretch that you drive through on 95 and um, but when you get out and you see the beaches areas, it, it, it's so beautiful. And, and where that race finishes is the heart of it. Um, and for me, it's it's my favorite spot. If I'm going to run or do anything active or you know go out to eat or shop, that's the area right there. They call it the Beaches Town Center. And it's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, we kept finding ourselves back there. I actually bought a cute dress at one of the little boutiques right there at the finish line. Do you know what boutique that I'm talking about is? Probably Joffy's. <laughs> oh, gosh. What? Drift. No, Drift. Oh, Drift. Yes. Yeah. There's a, there's a couple of really cute ones out there. Well, um, yeah. And then once a month, they've got this great art art walk and you know you just go out there the weather's so nice just walk around yeah and shout out to the woman who owns that boutique though because we talked for a while she, <laughs> she's doing a really good job because she offered me frosé like you know frozen uh rosé while I was shopping <laughs> but then I didn't realize it but as we were finishing the race I heard someone cheering for me but I figured it was like a podcast listener or someone like that but then later yeah. my husband was like no it was the woman from the boutique and she remembered my name I was like that is so impressive it is isn't it, it it's it's I always tell people this, but Jacksonville, even though it's a big city, sometimes feels like a small town in that way. Exactly what you just experienced. Yeah, it's it what I so love cool. about it. Well, let's let's get to know you a little bit, Julie. I've heard right. quite a bit about you. If listeners have um, heard my interview with Amanda Napolitano, who is the executive director for the Donna Foundation, that was a recent episode and she recently qualified for the Boston Marathon and talked about you being her coach. So yeah. let's hear your the coach's story a little bit. Where did you grow <laughs> oh. up? Oh my gosh. Uh, so I grew up, I'm, I'm from Florida originally, um, but I really grew up, my formative years were more in Western North Carolina. So that's how I think running really took hold for me is that I lived in this beautiful small town nestled in the mountains where we had trails and 
Um, you know, just even the track was surrounded by mountains. It was just such a beautiful place to grow up. I, I was 12 when we moved there. And so I had already been running track. I always joke that I think I was running pretty much as soon as I was able to walk. <laughs> um, but I've been involved in the sport in some aspect my entire life. Um, but when we moved to North Carolina, um, my, my sister and I both actually were runners there for our team. And um, we're fortunate to be on a couple state championship teams. And, um, you know, so that's, that's really where my early years in running started. Yeah. And when you say a couple state championship teams, you actually won 16 individual state titles. I did. That I is, did. That was... is that a record? I mean, that is crazy. So it is a record. I, I only found this out recently because I was uh, really excited to be inducted into the North Carolina High School Track and Field and Cross Country Hall of Fame. But it, it was when I was there and they were reading off the things that I had done that, you know, I was saying it's funny, but you forget some of these things. And I, I didn't remember that, you know, like they were records at the time or that, um, you know, what exactly what that streak meant, you know, um, now since then, I think there have been some athletes that have achieved a few more titles, but they had the option to run indoor track. So they had four more opportunities each year. Um, whereas I just did, uh, cross country and outdoor track. So you could only get four a year. Um, but I, I think probably the, the, most uh, crazy thing about those championships were the range of events that they were in. Yes. <laughs> I always kind of said I, I wasn't the master of anything, but I kind of did it all. Um, but hurdles were probably my favorite, but I had titles in everything from the high jump and 100, 300 hurdles to 200, 400, 800 mile, and even up to cross country. <laughs> I mean, that that's so. so versatile. Did you ever think about doing like the decathlon? Yeah. So I did the heptathlon. Um, I, I was recruited for that by Clemson and, and I went there for two years. We had a number of coaching changes in those two years. So I ended up transferring to a smaller school firm in, in Greenville, South Carolina, um, where I was given the opportunity to do the heptathlon finally. And I loved it. I, I just love that every day training looked different. And, and even now as a coach, it's something I'm mindful of, of yes, people want to specify, but um, especially for the younger athletes, giving them a chance to try new things, um, to experience success, to experience failure, to figure out what they're good at and what they like. And and that's a lot of fun. And I think for me, it was why the sport was always interesting and always evolving. And so I, I think it's one reason why I loved it so much. And I didn't realize that that wasn't normal to just kind of try new events all the time. <laughs> I just, I lived in the small town where, you know, wherever we needed the points is, is <laughs> where, the, where they would put me. And so I would have to kind of learn that event quickly or, you know, um, pick up things at the meets by watching other athletes. Um, and, and honestly, it's, this is kind of funny. It's probably where my early coaching um, years were starting to form and I didn't even know it because I would write out my training for myself. Mm. <laughs> and I, I actually came across those when I was up in North Carolina at my parents' place, um, going up there for the, for the hall of fame induction. And I, I came across my first logs that I wrote out for myself in like 1997. <laughs> oh my and it's hilarious. I mean, it, and I'm like, but I was writing these schedules for myself and, you know, just, um, I didn't know what I was doing. It was just what I thought I needed to do to, to keep improving. Um, and so it's, it's really funny to look back at that kind of stuff now. And of course I thought it was really hard then. And I, I look at the level of workouts that 
athletes, young athletes are doing now, um, or even athletes on social media, you know, when they post their workouts and I'm like, man, they, they, those were nothing, <laughs> but I, but I thought they were really great workouts. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you're, you've evolved quite a bit since then. I'd love to hear about after college, where you went from there, because I know that you have the 116 half PR and the 253 marathon PR, and you want to get back and race the marathon again. But what what's fill fill us in the the blanks here? Because at at 41, you're still running yeah. really fast. <laughs> it's 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 strange to hear you throw that number out there because most days I don't feel 41, but some some days I do. <laughs> But most days I don't. And honestly, I just always tell people this, that I mean, running exercise in general, and obviously that's what I do for a living now, but, but running is the fountain of youth. I mean, I mean, all the time I'm blown away by people that I meet or work with or come into contact with at different races. And I, and until I see their age group and the results, I would never guess that. Um, yeah. And so it's, I mean, it's obviously fun, a great way to stay in shape, but yeah, for me, the competitive outlet has always been, um, it's, it's been something that drives me. And so sort of to answer your question, how I jumped up to those longer events, especially having started as more of a sprinter hurdler, um, multi type of athlete is really just as I got older. And when I moved to Jacksonville, Florida, those were the only opportunities to really still compete. I mean, I guess you could, and I did enter a few, um, track meets unattached. Um, but back then I was coaching college track and it was really hard to, I found it was hard to coach the athletes well and to compete well. Um, it just, it was, you know, it sounds like something that would be easy to do, um, that it would go hand in hand, but it, it actually didn't, didn't work out that way so much. So, so I would tend to do some of my easier days with, with the athletes, but you know, I'd have to do workouts and, and races on my own. So, um, yeah, so Jacksonville has, they have a really great local uh, sports team and running shoe company, running store company called First Place Sports. And and I run for that team as well. And they put on events every weekend. So when I first moved here, everyone was like, it's a matter of time. You're going to break 19 in the 5K and you're going to be on the First Place Sports team. And I was like, I don't even want to run distance. <laughs> and that's what happened. Uh, when I when I very first moved here, I asked, you know, what, what there was to do for fun that weekend. And everyone was like, there's this four mile beach race um, Friday night and it's great. And I thought it sounded so much fun. And it's actually this part of this series called the Tour de Pain. <laughs> which is exactly like it sounds. It's a four mile beach race Friday night in the heat of the summer, mind you. And then Saturday morning, you get up really early, you run a 5k and Saturday night downtown, they have a mile road race and your your basically your time is added up over those three um, distances. And so, and so that's kind of how it started for me as I was just like thrown right into that racing scene right away. And then being so competitive, I hated not doing well. So I, I was like, I've got to figure out how to train better so that I can, you know, improve. Um, but yeah, you know, kind of what happens is you hit maybe one goal that you weren't really ever sure you would reach, you know, like that might've started out for me wanting to break 19 in the 5k and then doing that and then getting down to, you know, low 18s and being like, well, can I ever break that? And then, um, one day breaking 17, you know, and again, we're talking over a span of years here, not it, none of this is overnight. Um, and that's probably the biggest thing that I always try to, um, impart with the athletes that I coach is that with distance running or any endurance training, you really can't expect those overnight results. You can get them, but they, they'll generally lead to injury or burnout. 
um, you know, or not the long-term gains. So I'm, I'm very patient when it comes to my own training and, and coaching. And that's a big part of my philosophy is just staying healthy over time. And I think because of that, the sport has been very good to me for a very long time. I hear that question a lot, not necessarily in my own life, but for other people who've gotten pretty fast, it's like, how did you do that? And, you know, with my husband, he knocked his marathon time down to 249. And people often say like, how did that happen? Because when we first started running together, his first marathon was like 350. And it's like, it happened over years, right? Like (laughs) dozens of marathons. Like there wasn't like, oh, I suddenly trained and ran a 249. It was like, right. I ran a 330. (laughs) I ran a 321. I ran a 310, you know, like, so just keep hacking away at it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's a challenge for a lot of people because they want to do one one good training cycle and hang it up for a little while. But it's like really those building, building yeah. on those training cycles is what what gets you there. Definitely, definitely. And 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 having that success and and honestly getting to the line healthy, because I really believe what I've seen through the years is what happens to a lot of people is they've, you know, kind of run the race before they run the race. They've mm-hmm. overtrained or they've tried to maybe cram in some missed workouts as it gets closer to the date. Um, or they compare a lot to what other people do. I mean, now we live in that mm-hmm. world where you can literally, the second you save your workout, somebody saw it. And um, and that's great for accountability, but it, it gets hard when like now you're maybe comparing across age groups to someone mm-hmm. else. You're maybe comparing, I always tell people you have your age and you have your training age. And for a new runner that maybe just got into running in their 30s or later on, um, their training age can be four or five years or, or less. So they're still, I tell them, you're still a toddler. You mm. still have really so much to learn and so much ahead of you. Whereas for me, my my age and my training age are very close. Like I am fully aware of the fact <laughs> that I'm, I'm kind of running on borrowed time here as far as um, being able to do it at, at a high level for much longer. Um, but that's why I get really excited to work with, you know, like right now I have even one girl who's right out of college and, and she is kind of thinking that, you know, maybe there's more upside or maybe she's peaked in college. I mean, a lot of times you think, well, college is going to be as hard as it gets and that's, and I'm the youngest and that's, good as I can be. But you know who told me that I wasn't done yet? And it was in my 30s. And it was the first year I won the Donna Marathon, in fact. And it was Joan Benoit Samuelson gave out my award. And I told her, like, I'm so glad I'm probably almost done. I'm really happy to have this win today. And she was like, you're nowhere near done. Mm. You still have so much in you. And I needed to hear that. And I, I needed not only to hear it, I needed to hear it from the best (laughs) because I knew that she knew what she was talking about and she wasn't just trying to make me feel better or, um, and, and so I have passed that on to a lot of other younger women. And, and sometimes they even get teary eyed when I say it, like, cause they think they're almost done. And, and I just say, you're not just trust me. You're not, you can still peak, you know, late in your thirties or again, depending on what your training age is, maybe later. Um, yeah. so I think that's exciting for a lot of people to hear that. I mean, gosh, even look at what's happening right now. Look, look at the Olympic trials and the marathon coming up. I mean, look at the ages of the women, it ranges from some younger than ever jumping into the marathon and doing really well. And then also, you know, some master's women just crushing it. Yeah. Well, and, <laughs> and these a- aren't all elites either. You no, know? Some of these are working like real professional jobs where they're just, or, and they're, they have families and they're, um, it's so inspiring. It's, it's inspired me. 
for sure. Yeah. And it's a testament to that what your words matter. Like what jo- like she didn't have to say that yes. to you, but it mattered. Yes. And look what's it happened mattered. now. Yeah, yeah. It really, really does. That that has that has stuck with me. And yeah. and just, you know, um, I think you even said that in your podcast with Amanda about you know, how when something's planted in your head, mm. you just keep reciting it to yourself when you're training. And, um, you know, and over time when that, when that day comes and your big race is on the line, you're going to, you're going to remember it. It's there. I have some people tell me sometimes they can't get their, my voice out of their head when they're racing, <laughs> <laughs> whether that's like form cues. I'm really big on form because again, you know, going back to the injury prevention, um, number one, having the proper footwear for your body type and then, um, to, you know, form and mechanics. And I, I think that's another thing backing up that was just drilled into me at a young age, um, being more of a sprinter type Mm. that I, that good form, you know, as, as you're pounding the road for, for that many more miles for the longer events. And as you get older and you're able to do more mileage, um, that's just compounded if, if you have any kind of form deficiencies or, um, anything like that. And so, so that's another reason I think that I've been really blessed in that area. (laughs) Okay. So Julie is, she's a coach. What were you doing professionally though, when you moved to Jacksonville and you started entering those races, what was your life like at that point? Yeah, that's a great question. I had just, um, so I, as I mentioned, I transferred from Clemson to Furman. My, my primary reason for that change was that Furman had an excellent exercise physiology program, kinesiology, um, in a master's program. And I knew at that point that I wanted to coach. Um, I had worked as a, worked at a summer camp, um, kind of in between for my internship one summer. And I loved it. It it wasn't so much at the time that I thought, oh, this is definitely what I'm going to do. It was once I got back into school and my classes, I realized I, I loved it and I wanted to pursue it at the next level. Um, and so, the coach at Furman, um, was just really willing to take me under his wing and teach me. And, um, you know, I was granted a really great graduate assistantship where I could still run, um, an additional year. So I ran through my first year of grad school. Um, and we got to host these tremendous events, uh, division one cross country nationals. I mean, I remember the first time I saw Shalane run was at Furman's golf course for nationals. Yeah. Um, and you know, just getting to have that kind of an experience in in grad school. So still competing, getting to interact with that level of coach and athlete, um, in my very first year, that was just an amazing experience. And, um, and from there, when, when I moved to Jacksonville, it was to coach at the university of North Florida And honestly, really at the time, I knew it was near the beach (laughs) and probably like when you came down and experienced the Donna race for the first time, you know, I had my interview and then we went out to eat right in that beaches down Mm -hmm. center area. And I was just like, where do I sign? (laughs) What what do I have to do? And in fact, we would use that when we would recruit athletes, we would bring in, you know, um, in the dead of winter, we'd bring in people from New York and all of these like icy places and, and bring them, bring them down at some restaurant where like the, the windows were place open. In Jacksonville. <laughs> exactly. Walk them out at the beach. Um, then we'd show them campus. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, I was just sold and, and I knew there was a real opportunity there at the time because um, this particular school had just moved division two to D one. So there was really a chance to shape the program. And again, it, talking about those valuable opportunities to be such a young coach and to be able to get to really build the program. I mean, we only had distance runners. 
Um, and so it was my job to recruit all the other event areas. And that's where that background that I had of not just being in one area really helped because I was able to talk to any kind of athlete um, and relate to them on some level and have, you know, that, that sort of connection. So, um, so, th- so those early years for me, even as an athlete did, did play into my early years professionally too. Um, so in four years at UNF, we, we built the program up from again, D2 to D1 and went through that transition. And I was, I felt really proud that I feel like I left it better than I came into it. Um, along with my boss who I worked with at the time, who was, the best boss I ever had. It's, we're still friends to this day. He came to my Hall of Fame induction. He and his wife oh, wow. um, live up in, in Durham now. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, he just he gave me a chance to make mistakes and to experience success. You know, just like I talked about when you're when you're training um, to get to do those things professionally so young was was so helpful. And so from there, I, I springboarded out to um, the Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs, and then after that, University of Virginia. In Charlottesville. So I was, I was lucky to go all over the nation. And, uh, you know, I always say the sport's been so good to me, but I, I got to not only compete, but coach, um, all, all over the nation. I think I mentioned to you, I've been to 48 of 50 States. And yes. I'm going to knock out one more this July. I'm going to a race in Alaska, um, a Brooks race. Um, I'm, I'm a Brooks ambassador by the way. So okay. I, I love them and the brand and, um, just really believe in the people behind that. So, um, so yeah, so it's just it's just been so good to me, and and like I said, I've been through these different transitions um, with the sport, but it's it's just one of those things where I'm excited to see what's next. Even so, what's your fiftieth state then? North Dakota. Really? Okay. I was like, <laughs> yeah. is it going to be Hawaii? I uh, know. I've been there. I've been there. Um, if, uh, yeah. Any listeners in North Dakota know of, a, I, I've read up on the Fargo marathon. That yeah, I was going to say one. that's the one, right? <laughs> that could be the one. Um, and yeah. So, but as you were talking about with your husband improving in the marathon too, I, as I'm, as I'm getting older, I have to be strategic with choosing those races. I, I cannot, I am not one of those people that can do a marathon every month or no. several, several years. There's no way. In fact, when I do one, um, whether it goes really well or poorly, it takes me a while to want to go through the training for that again yes. and, and line up and do it again. I I'm not a, like Amanda's done so many of them. Um, I, I'm not that person. I, I love the half. The half is great. <laughs> like I will run them, but I'm like, I can't get into the mentality of racing them so frequently. And even, even after Donna last weekend, like, I, I guess it was maybe almost two weeks ago now. I like I've seen other people that had races that weekend that are already doing workouts again. And I did the half and I, you know, I didn't run a PR or anything, but I worked really hard the entire time. Yeah. And like, I'm not ready to do any kind of workout right now. <laughs> yeah. And again, you know, I have this kind of general rule of thumb, which is um, a day of recovery for every mile you raced. Ooh, I like that. And I have found it to be pretty close. And again, you know, my, my younger clients, they can they can mm-hmm. get away with a couple of days. They are right back out doing workouts and they're fine. They didn't miss a beat. And maybe they don't have to ice or roll or stretch or any of that. But I, I have to do all the little things right um, and give it time. Um, and it doesn't mean I'm not running before those days. Right. But yeah, so even with the Donna recently, I've been reminding my newer clients like, 13 days. Give, give okay. yourself two weeks. February before, 22nd, guys. Yeah. <laughs> before you really feel um, like you can, like, kind of like that snap is back yeah. in your legs, yeah. you know. Um, 
Yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's talk about your coaching business now because you've grown it to be pretty large, over 150 athletes. Are you a, the only coach or do you have coaches that are working under you? What does that look like? I'm the only coach right now. And um, I'm definitely getting to the point of, of needing to have some help, um, especially because there is more that I want to do. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. You know, I think like we mentioned training for the marathon, you, you hit one goal and then you're like, let's, let's work on, you know, trying to maybe shave a few more seconds off of that or add something else to that. And so, so even with my business, you know, I have more ideas, but I'm only one person. Yep. Um, and so, you know, I just, it, it just needs to be the right fit. Um, and so I'm, I wouldn't say that I'm actively looking for that right now. Um, but I, I'm definitely getting to that point of that's, that will be what's next. Um, so we, we, I offer all kinds of services from, you know, like this morning we had group training. We do track Tuesday, every Tuesday morning. We have an amazing group for that. I do corporate wellness, um, with a couple companies in Jacksonville and that's literally getting them out in the middle of their workday, um, during their lunch hour and, and running and training and working out and doing some, you know, um, other consulting as far as living a healthier lifestyle and what that looks like for each person. And especially mindful of, of their work day and their travel schedule. Maybe they sit a lot for what they do. Maybe they're gone a lot, um, during the week. So being able to give them flexible options to, um, stay in a good routine with that. Um, I do one-on-ones. I do work with, with kids all the way through adults that, um, just want to improve whatever that may be, whether that's their form for another sport or, um, maybe even just getting started, you know, starting out with a running program and how to take those initial steps. Um, and then I do some, some senior strength training even. <laughs> um, and then I do written plans. Um, also mostly locally because I really do enjoy having that FaceTime with it. It helps me to formulate the plans better for them when I actually see them run each week at track Tuesday or maybe fill in with an individual session also and get that good feedback. Um, I do some remote plans also, but um, much less inter internet based and much more in person. Yeah, I was um, going to say 150 people. So are, are some of these people doing the group training and some people doing one on one? Because I'm like, how do you manage yeah. 150 one on ones? <laughs> well, and some of the some of those are corporate too. So maybe not gotcha. all of them okay. come every week. Yeah. Um, but and, and sometimes there's uh, this ebb and flow, right? Like maybe somebody finishes a race mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. they're done for, you know, a month and then they're antsy and they pick another race or they qualified for Boston and they want to get back into it. Um, and I think that's completely healthy. In fact, I encourage it to take some time off, um, or, or just do not follow a structure as much for a little bit of time after a big race. And, try some cross training or things like that. For us, our summers are brutal. Mm. <laughs> um, and so, you know, that's a time where I kind of encourage trying some other things, cutting back the mileage, not trying to, I mean, there are those people, if you're doing Chicago or something like that, you we do, do have it, to train yeah. through the summer here. He just got to do it. Um, but that's also something that I encourage when you're choosing your race, like remember <laughs> June, July, and August, you're going to be, you know, working your way up to some, some pretty heavy runs in that humidity. Um, so just something to think about, but yeah, I, I love the variety of it, but what I, what I really want to do this year, some of my, my professional goals are to, um, you know, focus a bit more on that group training because everybody really loves it. And I have loved watching the group evolve, you know, really watching that through the years go from a small group of people to 
um, a real, like this morning we had such a diverse group. We, we did four hundreds relay style. Fine. So I, I paired everyone up, um, pretty much with someone of their same ability because as one person ran, the other person would recover. And mm-hmm. so you really kind of want to be paired with like an equal recovery. Um, so like people were teasing that I was paired with one of the fastest athletes on the team. And I was like, well, does anyone want, um, 80 seconds recovery? <laughs> <laughs> no one did. So, um, but anyway, so we have fun with it and, and it's just a, I've heard people say it's the favorite part of their week every week. And it's really fun for me to see that. And just to know that it doesn't mean everyone's having a great week when they come out there, but it, but for that one hour, you leave in a better mood and you, you did something good for yourself that morning. And like, no matter what comes up the rest of the day, you had that moment and that time with the others. And, um, and it helps you kind of take on whatever comes next in your day, I think. So that's yeah. been really fun. So I'm going to do more of that. Yeah. So do you guys get up early? Like you meet at 5 a.m. or 6 a.m.? <laughs> we're 6. Our group like sleeps. So we're six? not, we're that's not good. there. That's yeah, not so good. intimidating. 6 to 7. Not too bad. Um, you know, right now it's still dark then. So yeah. half the run's in the dark. Um, but we're, we're in a, either at a park or a track. Um, sometimes, you know, here we don't, we don't have hills. So we yeah. have to be strategic with bridges uh-huh. to get in hill work. So so occasionally we'll do something, you know, like we have this race coming up in town called the Gate River Run, and it ends with a massive bridge, um, you know, 1,200 meter climb up and then a mile downhill finish. So the really the only way to train for that is to practice that, to practice running. We can't run that bridge because it, it's closed to pedestrians, um, but but running a similar one and practicing on that. So so we try to I try to design the training to sort of work for whatever everybody's training for. And um, for, for everyone most recently, that was the Donna Marathon Weekend. Oh, And I... then next it will be Gate, Gate River Run. All right, everybody, I'm going to take a quick break and thank a sponsor that I'm so thankful for for this podcast episode, and that is Mod Cloth. Mod Cloth designs vintage-inspired pieces made relevant for the right now. They are crafted by a team of in-house designers. Signature styles include hand-drawn prints, unexpected silhouettes, and an inclusive size range that celebrates all women. Mod Cloth never goes out of style. I actually wore a Mod Cloth shirt on Christmas this past year. You can look through my Instagram and check it out. It's a pink shirt and it's kind of satin feeling. It has a great fit and feel. I did a little front tuck into the front of my jeans I was wearing and I just felt very put together and stylish. If you have not checked out Mod Cloth, you're going to want to go to their website. It's modcloth.com. So to get 15% off your purchase of $100 or more, including sale items, go to modcloth.com. That's M-O-D-C-L-O-T-H.com and enter code ANOTHER at checkout. The promo code cannot be combined with other offers. Again, that's modcloth.com dot com and enter the code another for 15% off your order of $100 or more. Thank you ModCloth for supporting this episode of the podcast. Friends, if you're enjoying the show, please consider leaving a rating and review on the podcast app of your choice. It is one of the best ways potential new listeners can find the show. And hey, if you're going to be in Atlanta for the Olympic trials for the marathon, I am doing a meetup with several of my friends. And we would love to see you there. We have a Facebook event up. I will put the link to that in the show notes at lindsayhine.com. 
So that's New Realm Brewery at 3 p.m. next Friday, February 28th in Atlanta. Hope to see you all there. All right, friends, enjoy the rest of my conversation with Julie Stackhouse. I love that the Jacksonville community just rallies around that race because everybody I talk to, they're like, you're from Indiana? Because it seems like, yeah. it's a, you know, like a, a lot of locals run the race and it's everywhere yeah. we went. It seemed like people were like, are you doing the Donna? Like it was just, mm -hmm. it's such a big thing in the community. It, it, it is. It really is. And, and like I said, you know, we have people who look forward to it every year and, and for us this time of year for running and, and especially trying to run faster, it's the best time mm -hmm. of year because the humidity is lower. I mean, like, Amanda and I joked that Donna race weekend, it was like 82 degrees on Friday mm -hmm. and back to 85 degrees on yes. Monday. But for that weekend, it was just the most beautiful, perfect weather for racing. Um, especially Saturday was a little bit cooler even than Sunday. It was. Um, so it, you know, it just seems like they're pretty blessed with some, some good weather and it's, it's great timing every year too. Yeah. So let's talk about the Donna race because well everybody on this podcast knows I talk about it all the time because I come out every year and I'm just so into the mission last year I raised money for the foundation and awesome yeah it's just I've every year I'm like I just feel a little bit more connected and a little bit closer and um you know I went to the cocktail uh, party on Friday and just hearing people who have been recipients of the Donna foundation yeah. who've received yeah. help from the Donna foundation. Just every time I can't not cry. Like, I know, you know, I know. it's, yeah. um, they're just doing such great work. So, um, I know you're connected to a being in the community, but, mm -hmm. um, B your mom had breast cancer and, mm -hmm. Now, see, you're a big runner. So talk about yeah. your connection to the race and what it means to you. Yeah. So, I mean, you just nailed it. I, I Number one, um, it's not often you get to run the inaugural race of, of something and then, you know, and you live there. So you get to do it every year after that. Um, but but when this race first started, I did the first one. Um, in fact, in fact, I think that year... I was really lucky to share several miles with Joan Benoit. Nice. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm <laughs> running with a legend. Like I didn't, I was even, this was back before Garmin's really. So you had to, you didn't know your mile pace until you passed the sign that said what that mile marker was and you hit lap split on your watch. Like that's how it was. I didn't even know the pace I was running. I'm just like, I'm running with Jim Benoit Samuelson. <laughs> this is epic. I'm not falling off this pace. <laughs> and I think I ended up finishing fourth that year. Um, and just, you know, again, on this high and, and got to meet her. And um, so, so getting to do that very first year and then pretty much every year after that, I participated, whether that was in a relay or the half or only did the full once. But, um, you know, just to have that event to look forward to every year that really means something. Uh, you know, that's what I said most recently is that a lot of races can be fun or have, you know, like, like this one does a beautiful course or a great after party. Um, but not all of them. Do you feel literally feel the love out on the course while you're racing? Like this past race, there were people thanking me for mm. running. It, people were yelling, mm -hmm. thank you. And, and because now I, I do know what that's like to um, have a loved one who, my mom, who 
battled breast cancer. I, I know more what that looks like now. You know, I think whatever it is that you're able to relate to that's hard in your life, um, when a family member, when you're watching a family member struggle or, or maybe like when you have a sick child or something like that and there's nothing you can do about it except just be there and try to do something to make their day better or, you know, have a share a healthy meal together or just be there. Just be there in the waiting room when they come out just so that they're doing something scary and they know you're waiting for them when, when they come out of there. Um, at, that is the stuff that you feel on that course. Mm-hmm. And I knew it was important before when I would run the race every year and I would run, you know, for clients that had had breast cancer or, um, you know, maybe some survivors that I knew that were in the race, but I never really, I didn't have the personal connection until, Mm -hmm. um, two years ago, she was diagnosed three days before the race. Wow! (laughs) And so you want to talk about timing even, um, Donna and her um, team, they just, you know, they they helped my mom get into Mayo Clinic right away. Um, it, it was just, it was that weekend that you talked about where you go to, you know, these different VIP events and everything. Um, the, the keynote speaker that year ended up being her surgeon. Uh, there were just these things that were kind of in place already. And you go, you look back and you go, you know, this, these, these relationships have been developed over years. We never knew this was going to happen and the timing of it all. And, and what could have been really overwhelming and and probably was for her at the time, but she just didn't show it, Mm. um, ended up being this like embrace of love, um, and support from this community. And, and again, that's when you realize like, I live in what I think is a big city and people just stepped up and, were so helpful. And in this time when you're like deer in the headlights, what, what do we do? Um, she, she got to help hold a, a finish line banner that year with, with another survivor who, who just like cried with her mm-hmm. and told, you know, told her what to expect. And she was there for her and they'd never met before that, you know, but the, obviously they had this bond for this, this thing that, um, and so anyway, it's just, it's been really amazing to look back and just see how this race has, um, been so important even, you know, for, for so many people, but for my family too. Um, now my mom wasn't one of the recipients of the foundation or anything like that, but again, you know, she was able to get in to see the best doctors and the best teams. Um, and those treatments were only 10 minutes away for, for me to be able to take her there as opposed to, you know, when you go to the Mayo Clinic, you realize people fly in from all over the world. And, you know, how how much more difficult even something that's already challenging is when you've got those travel, you know, concerns and all that. So I guess if you had to go through it, it was all as, um, you know, as convenient as it possibly could be to just take some of alleviate some of that stress a little bit. So, so then fast forward a year later, which is last year's race. So, so we're heading into one year of her basically celebrating one year cancer free, having gone through, you know, you finish treatments depending on your diagnosis. Um, she was done, uh, you know, probably a couple months before that race. So we're heading into that race going, man, a year ago, just the bottom, had just dropped out of everything. Um, and the family just, you know, battled together in the trenches. Um, and then to a year later, um, we're going to celebrate that she's cancer free. Mm. Um, and so, and so that, that sort of was what led into the emotions that that were tied into last year's race. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. And so let's go there. First of all, how's your mom doing? 
Oh my gosh. Thanks for asking. She is stronger and, you know, um, she was out there. Uh, she and my dad both were out there this past weekend or the weekend before that, um, cheering. And, and I think, you know, this race each year is also sort of a benchmark for her. Like it's mm. been another year, yeah. it, you know, it's the reminder, like, like sometimes I, I worry about having her out there. Cause I, I'm, I think, you know, is it too much? Yeah. But, but she's around. So, and then, you know, she's seeing people, she's now encouraging people who are mm-hmm. going through it, which someone did for her back then. And, um, and I think you just see these remarkable stories of people that maybe have every reason not to be out there, but they do anyways. And maybe they're walking it with a friend. Um, but the, like, those are the things that are really inspiring. Like I had my relay team told me, um, they, they actually won and they were, they were so excited. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said, you know, when we wanted to quit or it seemed hard or there was a headwind, um, we looked at the marathoners and we saw the the people with survivor bibs mm. and we thought, I can finish this last mile or these last three miles or whatever it was. You know, it, you realize that when you're running. And I think that's what's unique about the race. One thing um, is not every race is like that, you know. No. Um, yeah. Tell me there was a headwind because I feel like I felt it. There was a headwind. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> I said something and someone said, don't, don't forget. Because I, I didn't have the best race. I mean, my, I looked it back at my splits and they were pretty consistent, honestly, which I was proud of because I know that I didn't feel like being consistent. Um, but someone said, don't forget there was a headwind. So I'm like, okay, that makes yeah, me feel I mean, a little it, better. <laughs> it is the beach and it's, it's pretty standard that, I mean, you notice it the most when, not so much when you're running out there, but when you're biking, if you're uh-huh. on a bike, it's just more noticeable. And so almost always, if you feel amazing when you're headed south, when you turn around, you're yeah. like, that's why I felt amazing. Uh-huh. There it was. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I actually have a client who, who calculates out um, your, your, how much it affects your pace per mile, uh, whether that's dew point or headwind. And he had calculated it was about 16 seconds a mile slower with really? the headwind that day. Yeah. <laughs> so that should make everybody feel better. Um, yes, Julie, it does. Oh my gosh. Because <laughs> I felt like I was in shape to run. Like if I had a great day, 131, if I had a, a still good day, 132, and I sneaked in just under 134. So that kind of makes me feel yeah. better. Yeah, I, I kind of like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Okay, good. Woo, here we go. All right. Um, well, you got well, third place though, right? Or second? Uh, well, I got third. There was a little controversy t- yeah. towards the end because, well, as you know, you, you've you run the course. Um, uh-huh. and, and so last year was the first year of this new course. Um, and so it's, what I think is really neat about it is in the years prior, you didn't get to see this Neptune Atlantic beaches neighborhood area unless you were in the marathon. Agreed. So, yeah. uh, so otherwise, you know, you pretty much only saw the South Ponte Vedra, Jacksonville beach, um, the three mile bridge to the finish. <laughs> um, that was the old course. So the new course I felt like highlighted the best of the old marathon course. Um, but a lot of twists and turns, yes. especially in the final, like this is how I would always pose it to my clients at mile 11, you are going to run by the finish line mm-hmm. and everyone's going to be cheering, but you still have two miles to go. <laughs> yes. I mean, I mean, that's really hard. I prep them for that because mentally that's very defeating to be like, I can see it, but I still have two miles. To I got to go. go out and back. Yeah. Another yeah. mile. And so it's so, so to picture that, you know, that's a lot of turns to get in two miles in that last, um, stretch there. So, so last year with the new course, um, 
I'm just really big on if I'm trying to to win a race, and especially if it's a local race, that I I want to know the course. Mm-hmm. I, I I literally memorized the course. And it, for anybody who looks this course up to know that I memorized all those road names, I mean, that'll tell you a little bit more about, about my personality, but, um, <laughs> but basically like leaving no stone unturned. I yeah. mean, my entire team, we had biked it, we had, um, you know, run different segments of it, different weekends for different long runs. And then the final week going into last year, we had run the last 10 K to really learn all those turns. Because what I was convinced is that it would be very easy for someone to look up and see a runner ahead of them and follow them. Yeah. But that runner has already done blocks that they haven't done yet. And so I was pretty sure that that was possible last year. It did not happen last year. Um, But this year it happened. um, And I, you know, again, just, I think an honest mistake of seeing a runner uh, ahead of you. And so the lead girl followed him. Uh um, And so cut out probably 800 of the course, I would say. Um, so he had already fact, done a turn and she yes, th- thought he, yeah. okay, yeah. I, and so, it, when so, you're all alone up there too, it's probably really disorienting. I had enough people around me that it was pretty obvious. Correct. And she had such a big gap on everybody that, um, I, I mean, she was last year's race winner as well. So, I mean, yes. And I've been in those situations before where it's really hard. Yeah. Um, the lead guys are in, and I said this before this race started this year, um, Chris McCaffrey, our local top runner who won again this year, um, he was in really great shape heading into this race. And I said, when the lead guys are that much better than the next girls, it's really hard because mm-hmm. you can't see them yep. and you're straining to see where they made those turns. And if you don't know the course, there's just a lot of uncertainty when you're running, I mean, sub six minute miles maybe, and you're trying to decide which way to turn. So it's a, it's a quick decision. And again, you know, we're talking at like mile 12 of the race, so you're already tired. So, um, so I wasn't sure. I didn't, I didn't know if it was, if it was going to end up, um, bumping me up a place or not. But, um, but for me finishing third that day, I mean, I was three minutes faster than last year. I was, I was really happy with that. I was really happy with that after the year that I had, um, had battled through to get to that point, to even get to that start line that day. Um, and it, interestingly, it does involve that specific block of the course, <laughs> um, because, uh, that was the block last year, um, where I was attacked in the race. Um, and so for me personally, I, could never, I, I knew that block was in that course. Yeah. You knew exactly <laughs> you know what I mean. Was. I had, I memorized the course of the year prior or not. Um, I mean, I would have probably loved to have eliminated that section, but, but it had to be done. I had to run that part. And it was actually a, a really key part of, of my race, um, mentally from a mental standpoint as well. Yeah. So we, so, we can talk about a little bit more about that if you want. Yeah. Yeah. No, that totally. That's where I was going next. Um, yeah, I actually remember. So some pe- people listening might have read the article in runner's world last year about Julie because she was attacked by an unleashed dog during the race, which I actually, Julie was there last year too. This, this is my third year going in. Okay. I remember crossing the finish line and I don't know if it was Amanda, but it, there, there was finish line talk. Cause I, you know, I finished way after you. Um, and like, did you hear what happened to Julie Stackhouse? And I didn't know who you were at the time, but I knew you, yeah. but based on what they were saying, I knew you were this like local runner who always places really high and like she got attacked by a dog and, um, Man, and then I've gone back and kind of read your accounts of it. And I, for one, 
we have a dog and I, mm-hmm. I'm a dog lover too, like you. Me too. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, that is more than being attacked by a human, more than anything else. When I'm out for a run by myself, mm-hmm. I am fearful. If I see a dog, I am very fearful. Like it scares me. So yeah. um, why don't we? Yeah, I've had a lot of people tell me this year that that even though it didn't happen to them, that just exactly them... what you said, that yeah. reading about it or hearing about it, um, whether or not they ever had that fear before, they're mindful of it now. They're, yeah. they're aware. They're very aware when they're running now. Yeah. If I'm out running and I see a dog that's like five blocks up or something, I will just mm-hmm. be like, I'm not even going to go down this street. Even if it looks I... like a squirrely little dog, I'm like, I'm not doing it. I absolutely do that. Now I, I am, it, it's actually been part of my therapy is to actively assess when yeah. I'm seeing them from further back. Um, uh, what kind of dog, how big does the owner have it under control? What kind of leash is it? Is it extendable? Yes, um, those extendable is the leashes. owner walking? Uh-uh. Are they on a skateboard? Are they on a bike? Like what, you know, um, so these are things, um, invisible fences. Those really get me because oh, yeah. I don't know if the dog's coming out or not. Like in my mind now, it's coming. Yeah. And so I've had to like change that way of thinking in order to not basically in order to keep running. Um, because it was, you, you saw, especially that area. Um, it's a very dog friendly area and, um, you know, I had somebody this, uh, last race that was counting dogs. They saw along the course, they were, they were biking it and they, they stopped at 50. They yeah. stopped counting at 50. And so yeah. they were like, if if I had been aroused 50 times prior to like, you know, halfway point of the race that, and, you know, so that's what we had to work on is, is um, not having those fear reactions all the time. Yeah. Because you won't be, yeah. you wouldn't be able to continue on. Exactly. Like and yeah. So, so really, you know, what happened with the, the runner's world thing was I, you know, gosh, I pretty much what you said at the finish line last year, you know, a lot of people heard something had happened, but they didn't really know what had happened because when I crossed the line, I passed out. Uh, so, you know, kind of rewinding a little bit, I had, I had been sitting around third or fourth place in the race last year, um, not in a position to win. So that, so the attack did not <laughs> cause yeah. me not to win. Um, I was all you know, I just, I was just going for a podium spot at that point. And, um, and I knew because I, I'd memorized the course, I knew we had a mile to go and I had, I had told my team like, that's a really, um, critical point where you really want to be, um, you know, trying to, to change places, not waiting until you could see the finish line kind of thing. Cause by the time, you know, in this race, by the time you see the finish line, you're really, you're there, you're already there. So, um, so yeah, I was kind of cranking up going after, after the next competitor and, and like you said, you know, when you're running those kind of paces, um, I think a lot of people think they're just used to having people around them when they're in a race, especially a big race like that. I mean, I think that entire weekend this year, there were 7,000 runners. Yeah. Um, and so you're, I'm alone. I was alone at that point in time. And so I turned the corner and I saw it and heard it and it was instantly and your, your body, you know, they say the fight or flight mode. Um, I've never been in a situation like that where it kicked in, but instantly it's instant. You, you instantly go from you're in a half marathon and you're racing and I'm trying to catch next place to, I am aware of my, of my life right now. Mm. And I need to make sure that I stay on my feet. And I, I did actually stop racing. I was not, I was not trying to race anymore. At that point, I just heard this snarling. 
uh, barking, you know, out of the corner of my eye, saw, saw this 80 pound, what appeared to be a pit mix running at me. And your thoughts at the time, I think it's kind of like when everything slows down and you go, somebody's going to grab it at the last second yeah. or, or, you know, you just, you're not actually thinking, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I think I'm a really positive person and I'm, you're not actually thinking that's going to happen. Yeah. Like this <laughs> or, is going to stop. Or maybe you hear crazy stories, but it doesn't happen to you. You're not the one it's happening to, you know? And, and all I'm thinking is like, um, you know, prior to that, my mom's at the finish line. We're going to celebrate, you know, I've, I've only got this, you know, six minutes to go ish. And, and all of a sudden there's this, this crazy thing happening where I'm like that it's not actually going to attack me. Right. And, but that instant awareness of, oh my gosh, stay on your feet, you know? Um, and, and it's a, it's like tunnel vision even because I knew there were people on that street cheering, but it, it it was knowing that like, I'm alone to deal with it. Like, like who is going to jump in on a dog? Who's going to jump in? I know. Would you? Like, I don't know what I would do. Like look for something to hit it with. I've thought that so many times, like if I was, if I was a spectator on that street, what did it look like? And I later spoke to um, someone who, who I knew who saw the whole thing happen. And she was just like, Julie, that dog, for whatever reason, was laser focused on you. And I've had people since then ask me like, what were you wearing? Or, you know, now people make jokes like, did I have food in my pocket? (laughs) Or I'm like, at one point along the way, I had a goo, but no, there was no food on me. I don't don't run with a phone. I don't run with mace. Um, People this year asked me if I was going to run with a stick. I'm like, no, I'm not. Have you started running with mace? Uh, I do now. Yeah. Yes, okay. I actually do now. Yeah, it just I, it just makes me feel a little yeah. better. I haven't I haven't had to use it, but um, I use but it yeah, for I dogs have... over humans for sh- like I like yeah. <laughs> that's why I have it. Like I yeah. because I I'm more aware of dogs than humans. Yeah. Um. So I so I guess kind of going back to like I didn't I didn't really want to tell the story. This is sort of actually my first time really saying what happened because you know exactly what we just talked about how important this race was yeah, to me and not yeah. just to me, to my family, to my clients, my friends, um, one of my closest friends, Amanda Napolitano. I mean, I, I didn't want the, my belief in the cause. I didn't want anything negative. Oh, like the race I, to get a bad rap. Yeah. I mean, it's like who, you know, th- that's not why I want sure. people to come down and experience the race. Um, you know, and so I was just so, um, you know, later on, just so mindful of everybody else's um, feelings and and just and even my own embarrassment of having been in the situation that was like not the attention I was planning. I was planning on like you know a podium spot and and that kind of positive um, energy and not uh, the girl that was attacked by the dog. I mean, I I literally feel like that's the the stigma that I've been living for the last year. Until doing this race again. And that could, could happen like, at any race, by the way. Right. And, yeah. and, you know, I've run so many races through the years. Some people said, like, you know, you've run so many races, it's like something was going to happen sometime. Mm. But you never think it's – you think, like, maybe you'll trip on a curb or, you know, something. But never that a dog is going to attack. I mean, it, it, it was never a thought that would ever cross my mind. And so I guess my, my main point is there was no time to um, – to fight back. I mean, it was just, it was on me and it, and it came and hit me so hard on my right side that I had a, a major bruise there, um, for, for weeks. It was just like completely discolored on my right leg. And that's where it barreled into me and knocked me down. 
Um, I had scratches down my back where it was like clawing at my back. Um, but I knew that I had to get up off the ground as quickly as I could. It was just, again, that realization that staying on the ground was going to mean, um, you know, I mean, but the potential for the dog to kill me. Um, and it, it was, it was instant awareness of that. And I, I don't think that I've said that out loud to a lot of people, but I think that's why some people don't know how hard it really was or what a big deal it was to be able to think about, um, getting back out there and running that race again is, is literally having to stare down my greatest fear. Um, my only running injury of my life, um, which was just brought on by this, um, just wild attack. And, uh, and so where the dog did latch on was on my left arm, my bicep. And I was trying to get up off the ground and it was lunging for my neck. And I just, you don't even think like protective mechanism, you throw your arm up, right? Yeah, Yeah. And that's what happened. I threw my arm up near my face and neck and it grabbed on. And I have now learned that in these types of attacks with this type of dog specifically, they, they, that's their, they pull you to the ground. Mm. Um, it actually happened to a, a girl who's, who's become, um, an acquaintance of mine now. And we're going to meet at the trials in a couple of weeks, but Caitlin Keen, Keen, um, two, two weeks later, you know, she was attacked on trails and that, that is, she said it was like being hit by a football player from the side. Like she never saw it. It just hit her, knocked her down. And then she got back up and it grabbed her arm and pulled her down. And so as we sh- share those stories, we, we realize it's a, it's, um, you know, it is the way that when they're attacking what they do. And so I couldn't break my arm free. Um, it was in, I still sometimes look down at my arm and when I see the scar, I see a vision of the dog locked, mm. locked on my arm. Mm-hmm. And so I was trying to shake it free. I was, you know, trying to get away and it felt like Lindsay that it went on for minutes, but it's one of those things where like time standing. So I, I never, really knew how long it was until later I was able to look back on my watch. Um, and, and, you know, and then other people who reported how long they, they thought it took. And uh, it was about 45 seconds. Um, and what ended up happening, I know this now, I didn't know that then is that someone pulled the dog off of me. It ended up being the dog's owner. Mm. Um, because again, I look back and I, in my mind go, who's going to help me? Like who, is going to get this dog who's going to intervene in this situation because, you know, to anyone watching it, it was horrifying. Um, I later was just really grateful that it wasn't like a child or someone that like, wasn't like strong enough to get back up. Yeah. I mean, I later said that, that I, it, it could have been a lot worse if I, if I would have stayed on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Because I know it's so interesting that your instincts just kicked in and you thought, I oh my have gosh. to stay on my feet. It's, I mean, again, if I hope that, you know, not many listeners have been in that situation sure. before, but yeah. it's very real. I mean, that it, it's instant, you're, it's instant awareness of protecting yourself. And, and you do learn if you're, if you're fight or flight, because I've had other people say like, when something like that happened to them, they like punched right back mm-hmm. in the nose or whatever. I was, I was just trying to get out of there. And, and like I said, I, I had stopped running. So that was some things other people commented later is, well, you shouldn't keep running. <laughs> um, well, I was like, well, number one, I was in a race. Number two, this was, this was a one block stretch of road. Yeah, so you yeah, literally, where else were you going to go? Turn. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then you're out of the turn and that's how fast it happened. I mean, it was, if you're talking like running pace for that stretch of road, it's, it's less than three seconds. Like yeah. it was that fast. Um, 
and then eventually what happened is, is once my arm broke free, I, I rounded the next turn. And so, you know, kind of the story that runner's world ran with was that I finished fourth in the race, (laughs) despite, (laughs) despite all of that. And, and I was glad for that. I mean, I was glad for people to know that, you know, I still finished the race and I obviously didn't care about my time or anything like that at that point. But, but I think it is a story of, of like, you know, you finished something that was really hard, but, but what I can tell you is that I don't remember the last mile. I do not remember it. I I now know that I was in shock. Um, I was hyperventilating. I was screaming. uh, And I looked down. Were you crying when you were running? Was not crying, but I was screaming. Um, But you know, when you're like, maybe you're younger and you, and something hurts, but it's like, it's so drastic that you don't really feel it yet. You know, I, but then you look, look at it. Um, when I looked at my arm, I, not to be too graphic, but I, I just, besides the blood, I, I saw white. I saw, yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's not pretty. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, it was, and I just, I looked down at my arm and I was just like, there are pictures. Now I look back and see where I was just staring at it. I, again, I, I, my, because I'd memorized the course I was on autopilot. Sure. I do not remember cognizantly running that last mile. Um, and by this point now of a friend, like luckily this is where it's great that I'm local. A friend had run up to me in the race and she had seen the tail end of them pulling the dog off and um, me running around the corner. And she, she, you know, ran up to me and just encouraged me. Like she said, I remember her saying this, you have two laps on the track left. You know, so there's about 800 to go. Two laps. You can do this. Um, and she said in her mind, she looked at, she looked at my arm and her husband's a doctor and she just knew that where we were on the course, there was no medical personnel. Mm-hmm. Um, she figured that at that pace, if I just kept running, I'd, I would get to help quicker sure. than if we sat down on a curb, called it in, you know, kind of thing. So, so it was really, I, I say she, she was such an angel that day too, because she had the quick wit to think, you know, of what should be done and, um, and just gave me that little boost, uh, you know, and because I knew her again, I just, I just listened. I just was like, okay, two laps on the track, run it in. I, I, I don't remember, you know, um, to any of that. And so, you know, now a year later, I'll have people tell me they had a, you know, a conversation with me at the finish line when I, I guess what I was telling them where it happened. I don't, I don't remember any of that. Mm. Um, and I'll say, I, I talked to you. I had no idea. And I'll see in pictures, like who was there, uh, you know, obviously Amanda was there. She's always the first yeah. one to greet yep. you. At the, yep. So that's why if you if you see the picture of us this year embracing, yes. it's just so many memories and or um, emotions tied up in that embrace. Pr- pretty amazing. But um, but yeah, so just I guess as an athlete, when you visualize something going a certain way, and 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 it's just never in a million years would you visualize what actually happened. And so it was just. Um, it was just really hard. So, so I got to the finish line, I passed out, I woke up on the table in the med tent and I just remember them talking about saying they weren't prepared to treat that there. And that, um, and I think if you've ever been in a situation where you're nervous about something and you can tell other people are nervous, there's no confidence. Yes. <laughs> it's like, uh Oh, so this true. is really bad. Like, I don't know how bad it is, but they look worried. And that makes me worried. Um, and I had just, 
you know, again, I know now this is a sign of shock, but I had sweated through everything, like mm. all the, everything on the table. They were putting like the space blankets over me to try to warm me up. I couldn't stop shaking. I was super pale. Um, I just, it was just like, did that just happen? What just happened? Cause again, this was in the final mile of the race. So I literally just seen my family at 11 high-fived them, you know, I'm yeah. going after like, let's just get around, finish that last, those last few turns. And then it, everyone was so confused, like, cause if they look at my arm, they go, how does something like that happen in a race? Like if you, if you felt, I mean, it looked like I got entangled in barbed wire or something. Yeah, I mean, you know, like if you fall down in a race, like how does that happen? People were just so confused. And, um, so I think that's why, you know, like when you got to the finish line and you were hearing about it, I was in the tent for a little bit and then they um, they had me actually exit out the back of the tent because of all the mm-hmm. all the media that was there and everything and and again and I I didn't want that kind of attention. Um, Runners World picked up from it uh, from our local oh, uh, yeah. newspaper here. Yeah. They had run. It, so, someone actually had snuck into the tent with my mom, like they were like they were with her, and oh they gosh. got you know a little bit of the story. It was just enough for Runners World to grab it because they were running a series on. Um, runners at runners attacks last year probably wow. everyone remembers the mountain lion one um you know that was one of the jokes that someone made later is well she didn't strangle it with her bare hands <laughs> like yeah um you know again it just uh, it, I, I never wanted that kind of attention so it's it's very healing now to be able to tell the story and talk about it without um you know it, it makes me a little nervous it makes my hand sweat a bit yeah, to, to tell you and to Honestly, to be this has kind of been the theme of my year, but to be vulnerable like that, to to let others into your pain and to, you know, what some people have told me is like they never they they would always see me have a great race and um, they just they never saw like that side of the struggle. Um, and then for me for this year, the fact that running has been this constant my entire life and part of my life, my entire life and usually what was like my time to myself, um, you know, time to process things and, um, kind of your intention for your day, you know, starting out most, most mornings would be like my morning run for myself before I would start my day with my clients. Um, but I didn't have the desire to do that anymore because I was so scared to go out the door. I didn't run by myself for months. Oh, I don't think I would would either. Yeah. I would make people bike with me or, you know, luckily that's where I'm, it's great. I have all these groups and, you know, different people that I could train and, so I think what people just kept seeing is that I just kept running and I kept racing, but they had no idea that, you know, I didn't sleep for months. <laughs> I had nightmares, I had flashbacks. I, um, you know, it's just, I think just barely functioning and I was operating in fight or flight mode for months. And that's exhausting. You're, you're not supposed to, your body's not supposed to do that, but after trauma that can happen. And it's just, um, you know, every little thing, the jingle of keys sounded like a dog collar. Um, oh, I bet. It, you know, so there were certain triggers too that were just um, really, really tough would make just like your basic run hard. Um, and so couple that with the fact that running is actually my job. <laughs> I, I had these days where I was like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do if I, I can't do my job effectively? I don't like running anymore. I, I just kept going, I think, out of fear that if I stopped, it was over, you know? Yeah. And um yeah. So what have you learned most in the year? I mean, you, you've mentioned, you've mentioned you've gone to therapy and you've, mm-hmm. you've really done a lot of work on this. What, what is your, what are kind of your, your main things that you've learned? 
Absolutely. I, you just nailed it. The number one thing is being able to trust those around you that um, you're, you're in their care. And so number one, it was hard for me to admit that I needed help with that. I mean, it was obvious I needed help with my arm that, um, you know, I had a torn bicep and being a personal trainer that could have been, um, you know, could have meant being out of work for a while. Um, so it was, it was not a question that physically I had to get better and get stronger. But what I didn't realize is how much mentally, which, which I always thought was one of my like secret weapons in racing is just that I could just be mentally tough. Like, I think I could, I wasn't better than other people. I could just like, Shalane has said this before. I think when you're so your body is supposed to tell you to back down, like you're able to kind of like override those signals and dig deeper. And I was, I was, that used to be something that I was really good at. I, I don't feel like I am anymore because I, it's like, I won't let myself go back to that place. I haven't yet of like really having to dig deep and, and hurting. It's kind of like, I'll get to that point and back off. Cause I'm afraid like something's going to happen, you know? Um, so, so those are the kind of things I've, I've had to work on. So, um, so through therapy, you know, I've, I've even tried some really um, interesting things. Like if anyone's ever heard of EMDR, it's, it's kind of like um, the best way to describe it is, is like visualization um, and kind of going back through um, like I had actually gone back through and run that stretch in my mind mm-hmm. many times before I got in that race last weekend, two weeks ago. Um, and so, so this team that I had being my, my physical therapist and my therapist, um, they knew exactly when to support me and exactly when to back off and when to push me. Um, you know, like as we were getting closer to the race this year, I, I wasn't sure if I was going to run or not yet. I, I, I actually couldn't see myself running past that block. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I could, I could run through the whole course in my head, but then I would just, it's like there was a blank there and I was afraid of getting in the race and literally free freezing up. And, um, you know, and that's the last thing I wanted to do was get out there and not finish it. Um, and so, you know, I think people see the end result, but they don't know how much work went into making that happen and how much I really had to rely on my team. And, and not just my, my support team who was, I call them my A team, but they're amazing. Like they actually were out on their bikes, (laughs) um, not, not around the whole course, but they would pop out here and there at certain mile markers and just said exactly, you know, what, what needed to be said and what I needed to hear. And, um, and then, and my therapist actually, she stood on the corner where the dog attacked me last year. I was wondering if anybody was there. And just, just feared like. Yeah, I actually had a, it was so cool. My entire team that, that wasn't racing, um, or maybe they were racing, but they were in the relay and the relay started a little later. They lined that block. They oh, were, that's so it cool. was insane. I mean, they were just, they had signs. I, I have some high school runners that I coach and they had signs, be bigger than your fears. Mm. They had sidewalk chalked, um, the road, like Julie, go get your happy ending. It, it's just, it, gosh, like what we talked about feeling the love on the course I felt that that they wanted it for me so much that I knew I could do it. Even if in my mind I had doubts, it was like they were going to help me get through it. It was they, they were they literally showed up. And like, that's another thing that I've learned is just when someone is going through a hard time, they might not ask for help, but you just show up. You just have to be there. Yeah. Um, 
and, and, you know, like what you said about planting those words of, um, you know, for, for me, one of them is, was that I'm getting stronger. Like, um, look at you, you're getting stronger, mm-hmm. you're getting faster. Um, mentally you're getting stronger. Um, cause those are the things that I was struggling with is I didn't want to have fear or negative feelings associated with this race. that has been my favorite one for years. And, um, you know, again, so important to me in so many ways. So I, so I had to change that mentality. But what I'm saying is I couldn't have done it alone. (laughs) Um, And even my team, just knowing they were all out there. I mean, I mean, standing on the start line was probably the hardest part. Any race when you know you're getting ready to race and you're going to try to do something big. um, It's probably the worst in the marathon because you know how long you're going to be out there. (laughs) But um, but it was standing there was so hard, like the national anthem. and And I could just feel myself getting um, nervous and revved up. And I just looked over at my team and they were there and I knew a bunch of them were lined up behind me. And, um, and I just, I felt that I really felt that support. And so it was a little bit of that role reversal this year of, of just like, you know, being able to let people in. Um, and when I'm used to being the coach and I'm used to being the strong one for them or the positive one for them all the time, it was, it was definitely not easy to say like, this is really hard. This is regardless of, the result, what the time says, what my place is, this is going to be the hardest thing I've ever done. Yeah. Um, Cause I'm literally staring down my fear and running by this place where I was attacked. And I think you said it best. It doesn't matter if that was a person, a dog, what happened. It was, it was an attack in what was my very favorite thing to do in life. Yeah. And so having to either stop running, <laughs> which would mean changing my entire life and my, and my friends and um, everything or, figure out another way around it and, or through it. And, uh, so that, so that's really what I've learned this year. Um, I think, you know, I, I posted this before the race, but being brave is, is, uh, was a mantra that I had and I wrote it on the back of my, um, of my bib to wear on my Jersey. But I just put, you know, being brave doesn't mean you aren't afraid. It just means that even though you are scared, you still do what needs to be done. Yeah. And that is is really what I lived by this last year. And so to be able to get back out in that race this year and out, it was a totally different year. Um, but there were points of time in the race where not early on because, you know, it hadn't spread out yet. But later on, as I'm starting to approach the, that specific mile marker, I found myself back alone <laughs> again in third place. And it was a little bit like deja vu. Like I've been here before and I didn't like the outcome. Um, and, it, and, but I would have to remind myself, this is not that year. This is not that race. This is a new chance, a new opportunity. Um, but you know, like even as I would see another runner, uh, kind of late in the race, a, a, another first place sports team member passed me a guy and I was like, just go with him. So you're not alone. Mm-hmm. And I tried, but he was really revving it up. So his <laughs> pace, pace was dropping a lot and I, I couldn't hang. And I, I was just like, I need someone else, you know, and, and that's where I knew my team would be there. And I just, um, trusted that and fed off of that. And, um, and so at the finish line this year to be able to get to see everybody finish, um, and to celebrate that with them, we had so many different achievements between like the relays winning or someone running the PRs, um, one girl qualifying for Boston who like Amanda had been working on it for a very long time. In fact, she's a client who told me years ago, um, 
Boston is my lifelong goal. Like whatever we do, I have to make it to Boston. <laughs> and for a lot of people that is, you know, sort of the ultimate, I call it the Super Bowl of marathons. Um, but so to get to have a chance to see all that, I, you know, I did have some breast cancer survivors that I trained that were out there um, to get to celebrate with my family. Even it was, you know, I say you can't rewrite history, but it's a chance to um, create a new memory. And that was really, really what I was aiming to do um, by being back out there. Oh, that's such a great story of redemption, too. That's I mean, it's yeah. it would be easy to just say, well, I'm going to keep running, but I'm not going to do that race anymore because I, I mean, it was clearly a very traumatic event as it would be for anybody. Um, did you, yeah. did, did you talk to the owners by the way of the dog? Uh, you know, I have, I have not since, well, since the day that it yeah. happened when, um, you know, when they said, you know, that, that they were the ones that pulled it off of me and, mm. um, but no, not since then. And, and again, this year, like that street, there were just so many people out cheering that, um, yeah. you felt it, safe. It, I did. I felt safe. Yeah. I, um, Oh, and I mean, I should back up to say that I I practiced that literally running that stretch um, Wednesday earlier in the week. Um, That was actually, you know, a time that I had a friend ride a bike with me and we practiced it. Um, The first time I ran through it, I I couldn't breathe. I, you know, I just uh, every sort of emotion from last year. Um, it was so overwhelming. It was was like almost, (laughs) I had to stop. I had to stop running. I rounded that corner and I had to stop and breathe. And again, it was what I was afraid would happen if I didn't see that before I got in there. I had to know that I could do that before, before race day. So, um, that wasn't something I was looking forward to doing, but it ended up being the best thing that could happen because my friend made me go back and do it five more times. (laughs) And, I was like, really? I, again, I'm used to telling people, you know, a few more reps. So I'm not used to that role. Um, where's you this five more times? I did it once. Isn't that enough? <laughs> um, but you know what? By the, by the sixth time, I, I knew I could do it. I was like, okay, it's still going to be hard. Um, it was still my slowest mile of the race. But I, when I look back at my splits, but it was my um, my victory mile, I guess, <laughs> Yeah. just to, again, run away from that spot and the feeling that I felt knowing that, um, it probably sounds silly, but knowing that I wasn't attacked was, um, a really good feeling. Um, and being able to, I, I really, it, it was, it was a cool position to be in that I didn't have to sp- sprint down the finish line stretch because by that point it was so spread out that places were secure. So I was able to actually soak up that finish line this year and, and see, you know, the people that had come out to cheer, um, and, and actually enjoy that moment instead of, you know, having to be so engaged in the race that, that I, or the time on the clock, like, yeah, when you look back, I go, Oh man, a couple seconds over one twenty-three. like I could have broken that. Yeah. <laughs> but I, but it, I wasn't even looking. I just was literally looking around trying to really soak in that moment. And so then crossing and seeing Amanda, we had this huge embrace and I just, I just had this huge smile that was just, it was, it was a relief. I think it was a relief and a release of, um, a lot of emotions of, of the last year. I'm surprised I didn't cry. It's not that I didn't feel like, and I think I was just so happy that I was, um, you know, and I was just looking around for my team cause I knew they were there and I wanted to just go hug them and, and thank them. 
getting yeah. me that finish line. Actually, what I really say is getting me the start line. Right. Getting the start line was, was the hardest part. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The, the rest of the 13 miles, the, those were easy compared to that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, this, yeah. this, is, this is a really, I think that a lot of people have dealt with scary things that have happened that have made them want to not pursue doing yeah. it again, whether it's running or, you know, whatever. And so um, I think that's the biggest thing I've learned is, yeah. you know, when you do have something happen, whatever that is, hopefully it's it's not a, a dog attack, but but whatever that is, I mean, it might be sh- shoot breast cancer or or some kind of, again, you know, a sick child or something really tough that you're battling. Um, that's what I've learned is that everybody has something and, and running can be a really great outlet to deal with that. Um, you know, for me in this instance, running, running was causing the stress. So I had to really address that, but, but, um, you know, and then just leaning into your support team, whoever that is, if that's your family, if that's your team, um, whoever that is. And yeah, I mean, knowing that you, that you've got that inner strength and you can develop that, but also, you know, not being afraid to be vulnerable, to trust people, to let other people in on that process, um, and, and I think that's just really what I've learned is that empathy for being able to recognize better um, when someone is struggling with something and, and not just to brush it away like, oh, if I say something, they, you know, it, it kind of draws attention to it kind of thing, right? Like, like for a good part of this year, people were afraid to ask me about it. And like even my team, they would, they would later say, we wanted to ask every day how you were doing, but we were afraid to bring it up. Yeah. Like to and stir up. Yeah. 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 And, and so then I would avoid it. And, um, you know, and so, um, so I think just for me learning that, um, it's okay to, to open yourself up like that. And, and it seems like vulnerability is a negative thing, but it's really not it for me. It's what allowed the most growth and change in my life. Um, and honestly, even realizing like who your real, real friends and family are, you know, I really, and that might surprise you, like certain people that, that again, are just very gifted at knowing the right things to say and showing up, you know, I had a friend drive from, um, North Carolina just to come down for the race. She ended up running the 5k and placing third. She did amazing, but she just knew it was important Mm. and she did it. And, you know, like I said, those are the kind of things that I want to be mindful of um, in my coaching to recognize, you know, when someone's having a tough time, maybe that's battling back from an injury. Um, And then just in my life, you know, to do better there. Um, I had to really dig in to myself last year to be able to keep running and to be able to keep doing my job. But this year, I'm so focused on others and and ultimately that that does make you better too. I mean, it, you'll you know, you feel better and you I, I say that like when your passion and your purpose align, you can really have a lot of impact. Um, and I feel lucky that I get to do that. But but you know, again, just being able to listen and recognize and show up, I think is really important. Yeah. Okay, Julie, what is one thing professionally or personally you'd like to do that you haven't done yet? I would love to write a book. Really? <laughs> yes, I am an avid reader. And um, as Fun. a kid, I used to read like a book a day. I've, I've read, I think, pretty much every running book that's out there. Currently, I'm reading Becky Wade's Run the World mm-hmm. book. Yeah, um, I got one. to meet her at the Beach to Beacon race last year. And she's she's so sweet. And so I'm just starting that one. Um, but yeah, I would love to um, not necessarily a running book, but, but okay, write a book. I was gonna say like a, like a what kind <laughs> might of be. book? might be <laughs> like a story, um, but like a fiction or nonfiction. 
Um, you know, I, I've always been, um, it could even be about getting over your fears, being yeah. brave. Um, okay. I yeah. Love yeah. Maybe not the exact storyline, but, um, but you know, some of those things that we talked about today. Totally. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. What's an accomplishment <laughs> you're most proud of? I think I've got to say you're racing the Donna race this yeah. year. I think, I think that is not something I knew for sure I was going to do, but I'm so glad that I did. And, um, you know, I, I think the response from that has been, I, I hope, in, inspiring to others. Like you said, whatever that fear is or that thing is that you've got to tackle, that it would be easier to, yep. to ignore it or to back away from it or to choose something else. <laughs> yep. um, but you get better and you get stronger and you learn so much about yourself when you just um, kind of just get comfortable being uncomfortable every day. Yeah. And I would say you live more fully, right? Definitely. Yeah. What's a nonprofit you like to support? I probably choose something like Girls on the Run or 261 Fearless. I love those. Mm -hmm. um, I've, I've inquired about starting a, a fearless chapter here. Um, the Girls on the Run I've participated in before as a coach and I love it. I love just getting young girls running and and just seeing that change their lives and seeing their confidence grow from it. Who is someone you'd like to have coffee, tea, or cocktail with? Oh, I would do coffee with Michelle Obama. I just read her book, Becoming, and I think what she's done um, for health and wellness initiatives is amazing. She's just a strong woman. Um, but cocktails with Ellen DeGeneres, for mm. sure. <laughs> I would say I've, I've had a lot of Michelle Obamas recently. I feel like I bet yeah? she's my number one answer for that question. Really? Yeah, I bet if I, I mean, it's 220 some episodes. So there's been a lot yeah. of answers. But I bet <laughs> if I tallied up the consistency, I bet she would be the number one answer. She's a pretty special woman. That's a good book, too. Yeah, I need to read it. It's on my list. Uh, I, I listen to it on tape. Like it's great road trip. Just now uh, who, who talks? Is it her voice? Uh, it is. It oh, is. Which surprising. Is great. I'm surprised. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I feel like she's so busy. And that would be extremely time consuming to yeah. I've heard about how much of a time commitment it is to actually record the audio. So, well, that makes it better though. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I always say I want the, I want the author's voice as long as they don't it, have an annoying voice. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. I agree. What is the best, most recent book you've read? Is it Becoming? Um, actually that would be, well, yeah, the, that I finished that one, but the one that I'm engaged in right now is, is Becky's, um, yeah. run the world. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one too. I've read that. She's she's been on the podcast a couple times. A lot of times I kind of like start several books at once and yeah. I, I don't really finish one. I yeah. Just keep it. So the other one is called The One Thing. Okay. Um, I'm drawing a blank on the author right now, but it's a it's just a great book about just like really focusing on the one thing you want to affect change in in your life. Oh, cool. That sounds yeah. good. Yeah. It's a good one if you haven't read it. If you had one message to send to the world, what would it be? Yeah, I, th I think I mentioned it earlier, just, you know, that um, trusting, trusting your team, trusting the process and, and being brave, facing whatever it is in your life that is really hard that, um, it, you know, and that might be running, that might be your running goals, um, you know, or just getting started with something new, but, but not being afraid to try. Like, I, I think what I've learned the most is, you, you have to risk failure in order to achieve something great, right? Like I, I heard, I think in one of your former podcasts, Shalane saying that like, if you don't fail at some of your goals, you're not setting your goals high enough. Um, and so, you know, just being willing to um, take that risk, not play it safe all the time and, um, 
and be brave and go after it. I love that. That's a great way to end. <laughs> Julie, thank you so much for your time today and um, all that you're doing for the running community, both in Jacksonville and around the country. Thank you, Lindsay. And the next time you're down this way, yes. we'll go for a run. Oh my gosh. Yes. I feel like we just went for a run together right now. Well, <laughs> and we also like can do a follow-up like in-person interview, you know. That would be awesome. I look forward to it. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, enjoy the rest of your day. Okay. Thanks so much. You too. Thanks. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening today. Thank you, Julie, for coming on the show. You all can find Julie on Instagram. She is jstack 12 You can also find her website if you want to learn more about what she's up to. It's getstackednow.com. And don't forget, Julie and I are doing a follow-up episode where we get to hear all about her coaching philosophies tomorrow. That'll be out tomorrow on my Patreon page, patreon.com slash lindsayhine. You support the show for as little as three or five or $10 a month, and you can get access to bonus episodes like that. Thank you so much to everybody who's already supporting over there. And thank you so much to everybody who is tuning into this show every week. You can find me on Instagram. I'm lindsayhine626. You can find me on Twitter at lindsayhine. And you can find me on Facebook. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine. Don't forget to check out ModCloth, M-O-D-C-L-O-T-H, modcloth.com and enter the code another to get 15% off your order of $100 or more. All right, friends, thank you so much for listening. Have a great Friday. Have a wonderful rest of your weekend. And as always, I will see you next Friday.